So uh, one of the things I've done, done a bunch over the last, well, I don't know, uh, eight years is, is go to the Philippines. And one of my favorite things in all of the Philippines is a store, or I don't know if it's a store, a mall called Green Hills Mall. Green Hills is amazing because of this. It is, it is as big as, as any mall I can imagine in this, this area. It's huge, but it is filled with, um, it, it is filled with what looks to be or what appears to be name brand products. So if you go to Green Hills Mall, you can go and you can buy, uh, if you wanted a pair of Kobe Bryant tennis shoes, you could get those. If you wanted uh, uh, a Rolex watch, you could get that. And you can get all of these sorts of things. And there's, there's the, the fun of bartering, all of that. But you could there get a Rolex watch for probably $20 US. Uh, you could also get that pair of Kobe Bryant shoes for about $20 US. You say, how can this be? And the answer is because they're all fake. They are as fake as fake can be. It's a whole mall full of predominantly fake, uh, fake stuff. Here's another interesting fact about that, that I learned, though. Uh, unlike America, where if, if you opened up a shop and you said you were, you were selling Nikes and you were using the actual Nike symbol and you were claiming that they were actually Kobe's and you were selling them for, for cheaper, we would get in trouble for things like copyright infringement and, and, and violating patents. They don't really have those rules in the Philippines. In fact, they have a rating system for copies. So if you want a, a if you get an A, copy, that's just okay. If you get a double A copy, that's better, but a triple A copy is better. And so if you're in Manila at Green Hills, you're usually looking at like a, like a double A copy. But if you go to someplace like Baguio or Angeles City, they have some better, uh, some better merchants and you can get triple A copies of these. And so um, it is kind of fun uh, even if you don't care about shoes, they probably have something that you, you care about. They have, uh, they have watches, as I said. They have all kinds of things. Purses were, are always very big uh, for anyone traveling with us because you can get like Chanel pur purses. You can get Lacoste purses. You can get all of these, these sorts, of, sorts of things. And so uh, typically we always hit those up when, when we are, are there. Um, and so I remember one time when the kids were younger, I came home with like uh, three pairs of Jordans, uh, two pairs of Converse, all this stuff. You bring it home. It makes great souvenir stuff. Uh, the, the, the best part about it, of course, is that it only costs cost like $20 U.S. or less if you, you negotiate well enough. The worst part about it is, is that it lasts about a week once you put it on your feet. Um, I don't know if any of you ever watched Inspector Gadget when you were younger and are familiar with Inspector Gadget, but Inspector Gadget would always get messages, and the messages would say, and this message will self-destruct in 20 seconds. That's very similar to what it's like to buy, to buy copy products from the Philippines. They, they look good. They, they look nice. You can get them for very inexpensive, but they are not going to last long. I've never known anyone to have them over a couple of, of months. So... Uh, I, with, with that story, I want to jump into our passage, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. So in verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to, to the church at Philippi, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means that the, the fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is, is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, because of my continuing to, coming to you again, you are boasting, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear, ab hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together in the faith, for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So, this is a, this is a, a famous uh, a, a famous passage. I was saying to someone the other day, as I, as I look back and I try and have memories about my childhood and that kind of thing, I do not have a deep memory where, where it plays like videos and I remember everything. Sometimes I get snapshots and photographs. I just don't tend to remember. But the one message I ever remember being preached on at the church I grew up in was on this verse. And it is, uh, it is often an inspire, uh, inspiring verse. It's often a verse that, that can um, either frighten us or pump us up. But as I look at it, the question to me becomes, how, how do you gain that attitude? How do, you, how do you gain that approach to the world? When the Apostle Paul says, for him to live is Christ and to die is gain, what kind of person says that, or what's causing a person to say that? And if we're to emulate that, or if we're to become like Paul in that, how do we come to the point where we say that? Because it is not, I don't think, a very common thing. So Paul, remember, writing from, uh, writing from prison, probably in prison at Rome, but perhaps in prison in, in Ephesus. Paul is, uh, is under lock and key. Paul is being, uh, being guarded. He has some freedoms but remember, he's still locked up. He's a missionary. He has a missionary spirit. He's used to going. He is, in, he is in captivity. While he's in captivity, it's true that some of the guards are meeting Jesus, and, and the whole Roman guard knows his witness. It's served to advance the gospel of Jesus. But at, at the same time, other people are attacking Paul but because they're preaching Jesus out of, out of jealousy. They're using the preaching of Jesus like a weapon, not because of their love for Jesus, but because they're trying to attack Paul. So Paul has been through a lot. We know that Paul historically has, has continually and at various points suffered. So it's interesting then that Paul says, for him to live is Christ. We get that. We know that when we open the Bible, if you flip to the New Testament, Paul has written under the direction of the Holy Spirit so much of the New Testament that, that you're most likely, statistically speaking, going to open to a page that Paul has written. Paul's the greatest missionary uh, that we know. Even, even to modern times, there's never been a greater missionary than the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul's Theology forms the, the, the basis of much of the theology uh, of the church. The, Paul's explanations of, of truth, explanations of who Jesus was and how that applies to us, it has changed everything. It would be impossible to be a, a, a Christ-following church of Jesus without being influenced by the teachings of Paul and understanding then the teachings of Paul. My point is, we all understand that Paul is a spiritual 
giant. He is, he is, uh, his connection to Christ is known to us. And that one we don't question. But the one that we usually question is when he says, and to die is gain. Not many of us would, would want to take that upon ourselves. Uh, uh, it is common for us to say, I just want to live for Jesus. It is common for us to say, I just want to be about the way of Jesus. It's common for us to dedicate our lives to following Jesus, but not many of us want to dedicate ourselves to dying for Jesus. And even in the sense that we would we say that we would die for Jesus, it is usually in the abstract. It's easy to say in an abstraction, well, I... I would die for Jesus, but it is seldom that we view that death as gain, right? So we would say, for me to live is Jesus, and to die is something I will endure because I know that he saved me. To die is something I will endure because I know that he is good. But very few of us would enunciate or speak out this reality that to die is gain. But Paul did. Paul said, it's a gain, and he said, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. In other words, I could go on living on this earth. I can go on doing those things. But I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two because I long to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. We, uh, when, when looking at this passage, if we're ever to become like Paul in this, if we're ever to express that to die is gain in this, how do we do that? And what would it take for us to say, it is far better to depart from this world? Paul says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. In other words, I'll stay and I'll do the work of the ministry here on this earth, but I'd rather be in the presence of, of Jesus. We, are, we sometimes hear this or we, can, we understand it sometimes when we encounter a person who is late into their life, when we encounter a person who's lived what we would call in the earthly sense a full life, right? We go, well, that person's lived a full life. They were in their 90s. They went peacefully, and now they're home. Then usually we go, well, it is better to be with Jesus than to be 90 years old and in pain. But what if I suggested to you that what Paul is saying here is not limited by the age that a person is, by the amount of pain that they're currently experiencing, or about what they've experienced so far. But rather, what Paul is saying is universal, and that presence with Christ is better whether you are 90 or whether you are 19. That is harder for us to express, and that is harder for us to say. Now, Paul has to come to it. Paul comes to a discovery in his life that, that to know Jesus is, is better. And my point here is not to get us to the point of fatalism, but my point is to get us to the underlying spiritual principle of Paul. So how does Paul discover that, that it is better? I would suggest that per, some of it, perhaps, is the reality that Paul, former persecutor of the church, former killer uh, on, on behalf of those who oppose the church, has encountered Jesus, and it was radical. But it's not just that. Paul has been through a lot. Paul's been stoned. Like they've literally thrown stones at him trying to kill him. Paul's been imprisoned several times. In fact... One of the most famous stories in Acts is the story of Paul being imprisoned in this very city that he's writing to. Paul and his companion Silas are going around preaching the gospel in, in Philippi. They cast a demon out of a young 
girl, that demon that was making money for the owner of the slave girl, when they cast out that demon, they can't make money off her anymore. Her owners charge them with spreading unlawful customs or unlawful religions. And Paul is imprisoned right there in Philippi. It is true that an angel comes on his behalf and God moves on his behalf and knocks down the walls of the jail. Paul and his companion don't run and the Philippian jailer and his family become followers of Christ because of that witness. But my point mostly is just to say this, is that Paul's been in jail in, in Philippi. They think Paul was in jail in Caesarea. We know that Paul was in jail in Rome. We know that Paul has been beaten. We know that Paul's been flogged. We know that Paul's been kicked out of the city. We know that Paul was an influential Pharisee and an influential leader in, 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 the, uh, in the Jewish synagogues when he encounters Christ and realizes that Christ is the fulfillment of every teaching of the Old Testament and that, that the true line of Judaism and the true, uh, the, the true heart of the faith of Judaism is found in Jesus, right? Jesus' own claims, all of the law and prophets testify about me. When Paul realizes that and encounters Jesus, uh, he suffers even there. And remember, I, I made it sound like Paul was a searching man who, who studied and came to that conclusion. He did not. He was on his way to Damascus to kill some Christians when God showed up, knocked Paul upon his behind, and declared Paul his servant. Said, Paul, now you work for me. Go find this person and learn. But my point is, Paul has been through a lot. And it's true, he's seen some supernatural things. He has been knocked on his behind off from a donkey and told he works for Jesus now. He has also been set free from jail where the walls fell. He has done that, but he has experienced some things. And my, my thought process is, is that perhaps Paul has experienced some things and in experiencing them, it brought into clear relief that Jesus is indeed better. That Jesus is indeed more, and to die is gain, inasmuch as to die means to be present with Jesus. It's not fatalism. The key here is, if death is what I might, must endure to be with Jesus, I'll do it because being with Jesus is better. So Paul has been through a lot. Paul has experienced a lot. And my suspicion is, is that Paul, in losing just about everything, made the amazing discovery that if he lost everything and had Jesus, he still had all that he needed, and Jesus was still better. Let's go back to the Green Hills Mall for a minute. If you're in Green Hills Mall, you can get any kind of shoe you want. You can get any kind of watch that you want. The question becomes, do you want the fake Rolex, or do you want the real thing? And what I think most of us would agree to, most of us would agree that the real Rolex is superior and is better than the fake Rolex. Why then don't all of us have real Rolexes? Because they cost too much. The reason that I buy my kids fake Jordans is because I do not want to buy, pay the price for real Jordans. The reason that you might see me, if you ever see me wearing a Rolex, do not worry that I've gone crazy and stolen from somebody. Just be sure that it's fake, right? Why a fake Rolex? Because it costs less. What if I suggested to you, much like, much like the products of Green Hills Mall, the things that we experience in this life, the things that we go through in this life, those things that are apart from Jesus in this life are not the real things, 
but rather they're fake things as valuable as something you might buy at Green Hills. It might look good, but its shelf life is limited. It's going to fall away. And then what if I suggested to you that the reason usually why we, and I'm talking to believers, people have already been saved, people have already come to Jesus, people have already been transformed by him. What if I suggested to you that the reason why even we who know Jesus invest our lives in the, the cheaper things is because they are less costly to us? My suspicion is that Paul, in having paid the cost, has discovered what those of us who don't want to pay the cost have not yet and that is this, to pay the cost for the real thing is superior to pay very little for something that isn't fake. I'm a big fan of an author whose name is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has written many, many things. Uh, C.S. Lewis has written uh, deep, deep books. He's written uh, deep science fiction, but my, uh, he's written theological treaties. He's done all kinds of things, but my favorite thing that C.S. Lewis has written for me is the Chronicles of Narnia. The Chronicles of Narnia are, are children's stories. C.S. Lewis began writing them because he had a young nephew who he wanted one day to encounter the truth of Jesus, and so he said, I wrote these so that in reading these, they might encounter the idea of who Jesus is so that when he grows into an adult, Christ will be recognizable to him. So they're allegories, and they're they're fair, fairy tales. At the center of the Narnian allegory is a lion named Aslan. Aslan is a Christ figure all throughout the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, in the first, uh, the first book, if you're, uh, if you're reading them in the order they were written, in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is actually killed on a, on a stone table uh, by, by the, the, the bad guys, and I don't have to have time to explain all of them to you, but the, the bad guys, Narnia is a land filled with talking animals and, um, and, and uh, fighting dwarves and, and magic and all kinds of, all kinds of things, but the, the, the bad guys put Aslan to death not for something that he had done, but for something that somebody else had done. In fact, Aslan covered the, the, the treason of someone treasonous, and, and one of the greatest lines then there is, is that Aslan, after he is put to death, two, people, two, uh, two girls who, who loved him, who followed him, uh, Lucy and Susan, show up, and they're, they're crying over his body, and they're crying over the fact that he is dead, when all of a sudden he walks up behind them very much alive. It's a resurrection moment, and they say, how can this be? And Aslan explains to them that there was a deeper magic that the, that, the, that the witch knew nothing of. And the deeper magic was this. When he who has done nothing wrong dies on behalf of the one who has done wrong, death itself begins to work backwards. That doesn't play deeply into our story, but I'm trying to set up to you to this thing. So the allegory, there's Christ's allegory through these children's fairy tales. But when you get to the end of the story... When you get to the end of the, uh, the story, which is about people who live in a human world, going through various ways, including a wardrobe, going through a closet, and into this, this imaginary world, or this other world, Narnia, at the last book, those two worlds come together. And the, the children, at the center of the book, get into a train crash, and they die. And they encounter there, after their death, they encounter Aslan, and they ask him what is happening. He said, this train crash it is not magic. You have been in a real train crash. And you are now, as they say, 
dead or you are now, you have departed what they used to call the shadow lands. But then he says this. He said, school is done. The term is over. The holidays have begun. And the idea is this, is that this story of this world, earth, and Narnia, the fairy tale world, they came together, but they ended and they revealed that there was a realer world beyond it. There was, there was something more, there was something more than this. And what, we, what they lived in, both in their human world and in Narnia, were shadow lands. They were lands that told the story, or they were lands they had glimpses of, but they were not the fullness of the world that was to come. And I would say, if you've not read the Chronicles of Narnia, they are an easy read. You don't have to have children. I still read them uh, most years, about once a year. Outside of the Bible, no book has had more spiritual impact on me than the Chronicles of Narnia because in C.S. Lewis's writing about that lion Aslan, I encounter the face of the real Jesus, right? I encounter his, his personality. I encounter who he is. He is both fearsome. He is a lion. He is scary. He is frightening. He is dangerous, and yet he is loving and Good. So I have encountered, so I encourage you to read that. But the, the heart of it was this. This is what hit me. What if I suggested to you this that when you encounter Jesus on a deep enough level, you start to discover that the cost of Jesus is worth the price that you pay. Now, remember I'm talking to believers. Remember that I believe you can do nothing to earn your salvation. Remember that I, that I believe you can do nothing to earn God's favor, but yet there is a very real sense in which Jesus himself said, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross. There is a cost to following Jesus. What if I suggested to you that the cost of following Jesus was, 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 was when, you, when you realized what the cost of following Jesus, what it could purchase Jesus himself, that it is worth more than anything else on the planet, including your life. I suspect, in fact, I know that is what Paul has discovered, that when Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he can say it because he has already died a death. Paul can speak that because he has already died to himself. We'll see that when we go to Philippians chapter 2, an argument about death to self. We see it elsewhere all over Scripture. The reality is that Paul has already died to himself, whether it be in the moment when, he, when, he's, when he's beaten for preaching Jesus, whether it be in the moment when he's arrested for preaching Jesus, whether it's in the moment when he's locked up for preaching Jesus, Paul has already died to himself. And because he's already died to himself in that sense, it is not much for him to say, I'm also willing to die in the physical sense. But in saying that, here's the thing. Paul does not be, seem to be saying, well, I guess you'll have to die. And so Paul does not seem to be dour. In fact, Philippians is a very upbeat, joyful book. Paul does not seem to have great sorrow at, at that point. Paul does not seem to be. But what Paul has discovered is not that he has paid the price and he might as well go die and be with Jesus, but rather that he has paid the price and Jesus is worth everything that he has paid for him. It is worth it. He has given his very life. He's died a million deaths to self, and because he's died to self, he now realizes to be alive to Jesus is worth so much more. 
So when he says for me to live is Christ, he knows it and to die is gain. He knows because he's already died to self. He's been locked up a bunch of places. He realizes what C.S. Lewis was talking about, that this existence apart from Jesus, the part where you wake up, you go to school or to work, you come home, you do things with your family, you interact and you do all of that. He realizes that all of that apart from Jesus is just shadow land behavior. It, it, it is good stuff that he's given, children, work, wives, husbands. These are good things, but apart from Jesus, they are just shadows of the greatest thing. And in fact, they can become very much like a cheap pair of imitation shoes built bought at Green Hills Mall. You have bought them for less, but they will not last. Their meaning, their, 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 their value is not enough. To, 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 to make this, this clear, we will go to what all of you probably realize is, is my favorite story, but I will repeat it again because it, it should be told over and over again. The story of, of Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott, young student in, I believe, the 40s at Wheaton College, decided that he was going to go and to preach Jesus uh, amongst the, the, the native people of Peru. The, uh, he was going to go down to, to, to Quito, and he was going to go from there, and he was going to go and reach a group of people that had never been reached for Jesus before. And so when people tried to challenge him on this, what Jim Elliott was a, but would respond to them often, they'd say, Jim, don't do that. That's dangerous. Or they'd say, Jim, you have such gifts. You could be an amazing pastor of a large church here in America. Or Jim, don't do that. Wouldn't you rather get married sooner because he put off marriage at various times? Wouldn't you rather do? They told him, all of the things that he could do. And Jim Elliott said, no, I am called to go and preach the gospel to the Indian tribes and, uh, in, in, in Peru and uh, Ecuador, sorry, the Indian tribes in Ecuador. I am called to Ecuador and I must go there. And they would say to him, but no one's ever contacted them. And he said, I must go. He said, but they're cannibals. I must go. Why would you go, Jim? Don't you understand the cost? And Jim Elliott responded with one of the most famous phrases in our, in our Christian quote book. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool if he should choose to give up that which he can never keep to gain that which he can never lose. Hold that quote in your head when you consider this, that Jim Elliott and, and his friends, seven missionaries go and they make contact. They use an airplane and, 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 a, and a bucket with gifts in it tied at the end of the rope. They fly around and they start giving gifts to, to the natives there in Ecuador. They start to develop relationships. They're developing a relationship in there. And then finally one day they say, it's time to set the plane down. We're going to set the plane down and we're going to go tell them about Jesus. Now, I know from another story of one of the missionaries with him, uh, a missionary uh, called, named Steve Saint, that Steve Saint, who was the ply, pilot, his son, Nick Saint, asked him as they were about to fly, he said, Dad, will you bring a gun? And if they attack you, will you shoot? And Steve Saint replied, no, we will not shoot. And he said, why? He said, because we already know Jesus, and they don't. So, just holding that in your mind, they fly in, they land on, on, a, on a landing strip, they have one last radio transmission, and then for days no one hears from them. Eventually they send in the U.S. Army, and what they discover is the bodies of all seven missionaries, massacred, slaughtered, some of them with spears in their back in the middle of, of the river, all around all of them slaughtered by this, this group uh, that they had gone to share Jesus with. 
My question is, do you think that, that Jim Elliott would have regretted it? And I know the answer to be no. When Jim Elliott said he is no fool if he should choose to give up that which he can never keep, to gain that which he can never lose, he meant it. And Jim Elliott, for some reason, had experienced in his life so much of Jesus that he knew that Jesus was better. And he knew that he could have stayed home and been safe, but it would have been shadow land living, not in the fullness of the presence of Jesus, not the greatness of what he was. He knew that he could have stayed and he could have pastored here in America or he could have gone to a safer place, but it would have been the equivalent of spiritually wearing the cheap Rolex when the real one was available to him and it wasn't enough for him. They died there. We know that the story goes on. So did Jim Elliott's wife Regret it? She did not. Elizabeth Elliot, along with Rebecca Saint, spouses of, of men killed, continued to be in Ecuador. And in fact, they went in to those very same people who had killed their husbands, and they began to share Jesus with them still. And they shared it and shared it and shared it until the point that that whole village and that whole group of tribe of people became Christianized. They all became Christ followers to the point that just a few years ago, for the first time ever, they had elderly people in their tribe because it was the first time that the tribe's members had not killed each other because Jesus changed everything for the tribe in Ecuador. Did Jim Elliott regret it? No, he was no fool. He gave up that which he could not keep, this temporary life, to gain that which he could never lose, the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. Did his wife regret it? We've read her, her writings. She missed her husband, but she didn't regret it because a whole tribe of people now were, expo were exposed to the great riches of who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. My suspicion is that Paul speaks like this and what makes Paul able to say for him to live as Jesus Christ and to die is gain is that he has been so exposed to the greatness and the grandness and the goodness of Jesus that he knows nothing else has value compared to Jesus. Counterfeits look like the real thing, but they never satisfy and they last like the real thing. And you live, we live in a time that is very much a shadowed land. It's a shadow of what's to come. It's, a, it, it, it's got, it's got uh, vestiges or, or we get glimpses of what's to come. But the thing that's to come is that there is coming a day in history where Jesus will return and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will no longer be a shadow, but it'll be a fullness of the presence of the living God. And in that moment, I know that we'll all know. But it seems like Paul got a head start. It seems like Paul got out ahead of us. And if Paul can know Jesus on that level to say, it's already like I'm living in that next land. It's already like Jesus is enough. It's already like the value of Jesus is, is fully satisfied. If Paul can have that, my question is, what is keeping us from having that? And my answer is, I suspect, is that we're unwilling to die to ourselves. That the cost we have counted tells us, by the replica it won't cost you as much as the real thing. And yet Paul, who's been beaten, imprisoned, all those things that have happened. Yet Paul. Yet Paul. Yet Paul. He said, no, the real thing is better for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Here's, here's where I want to challenge you with this.
It is going to take a radical reorienting of our cultural view to understand that to be 19 years old and in the presence of Jesus is better than to be 19 years old and on earth. Now, death is a bad thing. Death comes into the world through sin. And that separation is bad, but yet the reality of being, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. To be present with Christ is a, is a better thing. And it's going to take a radical reorientation. And it is never, I'm not ever suggesting to you that death of anyone, whether old or young, is good. But what I am suggesting to you is this, is that to be present with Jesus is what happens for the believer after death. To be present with Jesus is better than to not be present with Jesus. And that takes a radical reorientation. That the longing for Jesus, the longing to be with him, the longing that even if you have to leave this world, even if you have to leave your corporal body, even if you have to die, even if you have to suffer, that to be with Jesus is better, that longing is a good longing. And we need to have it, desire it, and pursue it. We should strive for that. We should strive to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do you get that? I believe that the way that you get that and the way that Paul got that was to take focus off from himself and place it so much on Jesus that Jesus became greater to him and everything else became smaller. It's true, he was in prison. And when you're in prison and you have nothing and you discover that you still have Jesus and he's enough, that affects you. It's true, he's been beaten, he suffered, and he had Jesus and he discovered that Jesus was enough. It changes you. But what of us? What have we died to? Are you saying that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Do you believe that? That is the statement that believers should be able to make. We know this by how we live our lives, don't we? And for most of us, isn't this a daily thing to say? Because tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to want to do things I should do and I'm going to want to do things that I shouldn't do. The problem with me is that typically I want to do the things I shouldn't do more than the things that I should do. In fact, sometimes I'll say to myself, it won't matter if I just do this a little bit. I want to, right? Whether it be a fight that you should end by saying good words, but it would feel so good to say something mean, and we choose the mean thing. You know that you should keep your mouth shut, but you think, oh, it feels so good to, to, to open my mouth. So you say the wrong thing. You know, uh, for some of us who struggle with food, that you shouldn't eat that thing in front of you, that you should not indulge that desire, but you say it would feel so good, and you indulge that desire. Here is my question, and this is the, the inverse of what Paul's saying. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you can't say that, then what you are saying is, for me to live is not Jesus, and he's not worth more. And so what I want you to consider, contra Paul, is what is it in your life that is not worth more than Jesus? Right? Is it, is it the, 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 the joke you need to tell so people will hear that? Is that worth more than Jesus? Is it, is it the, the cupcake that you know that you shouldn't eat? Is that worth more than Jesus? Is it the honest conversation that you're afraid to have with someone that you know that you need to have, but you won't have that conversation because you're afraid they'll be angry at you? Is that worth more than Jesus? Are you being codependent? In other words, are you not focusing on Jesus, but you're focusing on a, on a relationship and putting pressure on the relationship to the point that you have made that other person an idol? I want you to know that your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your child... None of them are worth more than Jesus. And if you are going to live like they are, I want to encourage you and force you for a moment to be honest with yourself. 
It is foolish for us, and, 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 and this morning it's a small group, I'll, I'll be honest, I know most of it, it is foolish for us to continue to come into church on Sunday morning and to take communion and, and to continue to worship and sing songs and act Christianish and go out and live like a bunch of hellions the rest of the week. And you need to consider what kind of hell you're living in just as I do. But what is it in your life? What is the thing that you should not be doing? The thing that you should not be valuing? The thing that you should not be holding on to? That you continue to hold on to? You need to understand this. That you are saying by your behavior and your attitude that that thing is worth more than Jesus. What is it? And if you're saying it, be honest with yourself. Verbalize it. This thing's worth more than Jesus. You will have revealed in that moment that you are not a Christian. And, and I say this like this. When I say not a Christian, I don't mean that you're not regenerate. Jesus saves whom he would save. But the word Christian means follower of Jesus. Right? And so in that moment where you go, no, uh, I'm a Christian. He saved me, but I don't really worship him. I don't get down with that. You need to be honest with yourself. And you need to do it. And, and uh, I'm speaking to you prophetically, but directly from a text. I'm willing to be challenged, but you show me where you can value anything over Jesus and claim to be a follower of Jesus at the same time. You show me how you're going to get to for me to live as Christ and to die as gain when you will not die to the desires and the pleasures of this life. Cheap imitation desires, right? Many of us struggle, have, have struggled in the past with sexual issues. Pornography is rampant all over the world, and it's rampant in the church of Jesus. How foolish is it to know that the church of Jesus Christ is impacted by pornography, and, and men especially continue to stare at pornography, ruin their relationships, ruin their lives, and say they're doing it for their pleasure, but they hold on to it, and they refuse to let it go. Well, men, then you need to be honest. In your prayers tonight, say, Jesus, I love you, but I do not love you more than porn. How many of us continue to be gluttons and overeat? In our prayers tonight, we say, Jesus, I love you, but you're not worth more to me than a donut. How many of us are in relationships we know we should not be in? We're, we're in situations we know we should not be in. We, we're in situations perhaps we've made our, our, our husband or our wife into an idol. We, we depend upon them codependently, but, but we're, we're loving them in, in a way like that. How many of us want to go say, Jesus, uh, uh, my filling of my codependent need is worth more than you. How many of us are, are, are dating people who don't follow Jesus? Don't follow Jesus. And we go, well, it's okay that I date that person that doesn't follow Jesus. Take that to Jesus in your prayers. Would you? Say, here, Jesus, here's the deal. I don't love you as much as I love them. But I still want to get down with you on that future heaven thing. I want you to be honest with yourself. Don't, do not take that as, a, as an attack. That's an honesty I need with myself every day. Every day. What is it that I value more than Jesus? When I wake up in the mirror, I've got to look in the mirror and decide who will be this day my God. See, I'm regenerated. I'm rescued. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to experience the new earth. Jesus has rescued me. But what is it in this life that I am allowing to compete with Jesus that I'm not dying to? The reason, Paul says, for him to live as Jesus Christ and to die as gain is he had already died to the things of this world. And in doing so, he had discovered that Jesus was better. So don't think of this as a dour, sorrowful, oh, let go of everything, right? church I grew up in, I think I talked about this recently, the church I grew up in, they would give testimonies, well, radio guy would give a testimony like this, I used to do drugs, party, and have the time of my life, and then I got saved. What's that? 
Another guy would tell the saddest story. I mean, it, it sounded sad. Maybe it was just a person. I'd be like, on a rock in the woods 40 years ago. I'm so glad I'm saved. And I'm like, are you so glad you're saved? Because you're not, it's not coming off. I'm not getting it. But, but, but don't, don't hear me saying anything dour. I do not think that when Paul says, for me to live is Jesus Christ, and to die is something that I will endure because I must, because I know Jesus. I think he's saying to die is gain. I think he means it. I think it's better. I think whatever you have in your life that you are making your God, whether it's a donut or your daddy issues, any of those things that you are making a God, they do not compare, they do not measure up, and they are not worth as much as a living Savior. Death to self is to be alive to Jesus, and to be alive to Jesus is better. This is not a dour message, it's one of joy. And I'm not preaching this to be mean, I'm preaching this for your joy. I'm not preaching this to hurt you, I'm preaching this to heal you. I'm not saying this to destroy you, I'm saying this to rebuild you. I'm not saying this because I'm mean, I'm saying this because I'm not. Jesus is worth more than whatever fake God you've been worshiping. And if you die to yourself, you encounter him, you'll be able to say, honestly, for me to live is Jesus and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be with him and to be with him is better. Jesus is better. Pray with me. Jesus, may all of us, first of all,